0: Joining me now from DKPittsburghSports.com, it is Serbian Reactionary Day on Kvacevic Day. on. Before you uh, joined the conversation, we were discussing the most impactful trade in Pittsburgh sports history. Tomorrow, of course, being the 30th anniversary of the trade that brought Francis Samuelson and Jennings to the Penguins. Uh, What's your call? What's number one?
1: Well, that has to be number one. And I I say that in in just a, a really quick scan of the entirety of Pittsburgh sports history, there's only been a couple of football trades that you would even consider the Jerome Bettis one being number one for the Steelers, I think.
0: Oh, I, I don't um, know. I think the trade where they moved up in the draft to get Troy might be number one.
1: It, it might be. And maybe Minka will end up being that one as well. Um, you know, over time, we'll see how that goes. Um, in baseball, you could go all the way back to the, the late 1800s in the acquisition of half of the Nashville franchise. That I'm that, uh, sorry, Louisville franchise that ended up bringing Carlos well, Wagner I, I, here. I got
0: to go, Harvey Haddix in 1959, and uh, and Bill Madlock yeah. in 1979.
1: Yeah, those are big ones. And I would also say that the, the gigantic uh, Andy Vance-like trade. Um, in, in, in which uh, Sid Thrift sent Tony Pena to the Cardinals for events like Mike Lavalier, and that ended up leading to the three division titles with Bonds teams in the early 90s. Um, those are those are big ones in, in, in Pirates history. Uh, Penguins, you know, I don't want to just skim over Jim Rutherford's acquisitions of Patrick Hornquist and Phil Kessel, you know? Well, those no, really, I, I would really say that deal. the
0: string of trades he made in 2016, the five guys he got... Yeah. If you enter those as a group, those have to be right up there. Well, we've talked enough about something that vaguely involves baseball. Well, uh, I, so-
1: can I throw one more in? Sure. Just uh, just, just out of respect, I, I for those of us who lived through it, remembering the acquisition of Paul Coffey in 1987 was something that gave the Penguins, the, even in a different way than Mario being drafted, an air of legitimacy. You know what I'm saying? Oh, no question. For start, that matter, like, the
0: trade for wow. Tom Barrasso, but then we – yeah. We, we met Tom Barasso. Now, what's your take <laughs> on the Penguins without Sid? Because last night's game was great, a big victory, but the adrenaline, it's got to wear off.
1: Yeah, the adrenaline is going to wear off, and the adrenaline might not wear off for the other guys. Uh, I thought Philadelphia actually played a pretty good game overall. Uh, they outshot the Penguins 42-27. to 27. The Penguins' best player, either team's best player by a mile, was Tristan Jari. Um, that's not a sustainable formula for anything. And it's not any kind of reflection on Sid or whether he was there or not. And for that matter, whether or not Gino rose up to the occasion, uh, I, I, I actually was, other I, I than thought
0: Gino team, played okay, but he just got he okay. one assist. Yeah.
1: yeah, he was okay. Um, I, I thought a lot of them were okay. Other than, uh, than, than Kapanen, uh, and Cody CC. I thought the two of them were, were the Penguins best players, uh, skaters, but what you're doing there, the way you win that game, it isn't, isn't something that you're going to be able to replicate even in these next two meetings this week alone with the Flyers. Uh, they're going to have to do a lot better overall. Uh, I don't think it's any reflection on whether Sid's there or not. Uh,
0: why are the Penguins 8-1 at home? That's interesting because fans aren't a factor. <laughs> well, they were last night, but not till then. 8-1 at home. You, you, you stay on that track day on. You couldn't be in business.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, the fans were a factor last night. Uh, I can tell you that unequivocally. I mean, the the Penguins did things, performed in a certain way that I hadn't seen from them, including at home uh, over the course of this season. One funny thing uh, about home field, home ice advantage and that sort of thing is there are statistics that go kind of back and forth as to what an impact the pandemic has had on that. Uh, In some sports, it has a really, really huge impact, the NBA notably, which is a, a, a you know huge league for home court advantage. Well, the
0: English Premier League too, but that's not for us to discuss in an
1: unfortunate topic
0: the, for my end anyway. But go ahead.
1: But the but the where where the Penguins are concerned, uh, I think they can turn it into something because I've heard everyone, uh, whether it was uh, this started really I thought with Ben Roethlisberger early in the last Steelers season referencing how we need to take care of Heinz Field. We need to protect Heinz Field. This is our place. We're more comfortable playing here. We look around, we see the settings, and they're familiar to us. There's just a sense of ownership about it. So there is something there that's too, that, you know, there's something to it. Uh, but, yeah, the Penguins, that said, you're talking about 8-1 and one at home, but we're also talking about 4-7-1 and one on the road. That's the one that really needs to change.
0: Is the defensive core starting to come together? I'm very encouraged because the defense, of course, producing goals and points. Uh, that sounds contradictory because they play defense, but you need stats from your defensemen if they join the rush all the time, and and that's important. And they're getting some.
1: Well, you ask if they're coming together. I wonder if they won't be coming apart pretty soon. Uh, there's so many of them. Uh, once you start seeing, you know, there's Brian Dumoulin back at practice today. Uh, you know, you're you're going to start seeing more and more of these. Uh, guys that are just sitting out or going onto the taxi squad, and that's not a great usage of your manpower or your potential trade assets if you're Ron Hextall, uh, especially, I, I think, on the left side. Uh, once you Uso Rico and these guys come back, you just can't have five, six guys sitting around. So I expect that to change. The question is, who do you hang on to, and how surprised will you be by some of the names who do stay versus some of those who go i mean how many of us would have thought that cody cc would be one of those guys that you're really hanging on to you know
0: well yeah i i agree i think cody is a better fit here than he was any place else he's played people expected him to be the next jack johnson well they expected that from mike matheson too and they both have done okay and you're right that that creates trade possibilities you wouldn't have thought of before guys like that proved themselves
1: Sure, and between Matheson and CC, the other thing you mentioned, the better fit in Pittsburgh, that's possible, uh, because as we saw last night, the Penguins had a one-goal lead when uh, you know both Mark Friedman, the brand new guy that Hextall picked up from the Flyers last week, and CC were two of the three guys leading leading the rush uh, to to cement on that beautiful passing play that led to CC's goal. Um, maybe they are a good fit for Pittsburgh in that sense, but I think they're an even better fit for being lower on the defensive depth chart. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, the Panthers saw Matheson as this pending mega superstar, and the same thing ended up happening to CeCe in Ottawa and Toronto where because, well, he's a first-round pick, 15th overall. He's going to be a great, great player. Maybe not everybody is made for that, but you put Matheson and CeCe both in roles where – their their ice time and their responsibilities are mitigated, and they're not going against the other team's top pairings, and it pays off for you.
0: We're talking today John Kovacevic from DKPittsburghSports.com. He's brought to us by your neighborhood Ford stores. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment that is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as um, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Uh, I don't expect a big trade to be made this season just because I think it's more about evaluation for Ron Hextall and Brian Burke. That said, your point about defense being overstuffed when everyone's healthy is well taken. That might be the one spot where they do make a move. So of the left-sided defensemen, who would be most likely to go? Who would be most likely to stay? This will be shocking. I wouldn't con dealing Dumoulin. I think he'd bring pretty big return, and you still have Pedersen, Matheson, and Pierre-Olivier Joseph, although uh, him being taken out of the lineup, uh, I can't criticize it. He kind of had hit a wall, but I also think he should be back in there sooner, or not later.
1: Yeah, so do I. I. I think between Dumoulin and, and, and Marcus Pedersen, honestly, is, is one of the guys that you'd consider uh, because it's not just about who you don't want. It's about what you get or potentially in return. And I, I think there would be uh, maybe, maybe depending on market and needs and the way another team is structuring its roster and even greater value that you could get back for Pedersen. Uh, if you decide to yourself that you have Pedersen and, and Po Joseph, and they're kind of a similar players that maybe you could, you know, move one or the other, and and, and not worth it, not you know, not worry about it. You could get something significant in return. Uh, what that ends up being, I'm not exactly sure. I, I don't think any of us could look at the Penguins' fourth line or even the. Oh, Dejan, I'll, I'll be honest line. here.
0: If they trade a Dumoulin or a Pedersen, I bet they do it for draft picks or prospects. I think that is Hextall's well, number and then, one that's priority.
1: Yeah, that's the next thing that I was going to say is that you have to remember who the new GM is. He's not the old GM, right? Uh, he believes in loading up uh, your system with talent. We we're watching Joel Farabee score for the Flyers. Oh, right, he is the polar guys.
0: opposite of Jim Rutherford in terms of
1: approach. He 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 really is. But but one thing where we might disagree with based on something you said a few seconds ago, I think the combination of Hextall and Burke and All those things that they said when they were hired and they were introduced about how into this season they are and how everything right now is just about this season and winning a Stanley Cup, I think you might see, in particular, Hextall do things that he might not normally do. Uh,
0: Can they count on Jari to keep playing like this, or is that premature? Uh, I still remember how bad he was at season start, so he set the bar low. But, boy, he played great last night, especially when they were on the PK.
1: He did, but, you know, you and I agreed on this whenever he was at his low point uh, that he didn't look like himself, his default self at that time because he wasn't being aggressive, not just with his heels in the crease, but even with the stick and in everything else. Uh, one of the things that impressed me the most last night was that he gave the puck away on Philadelphia's second goal. Because he was out, he was trying to do something, didn't work out, put it right on a flyer stick, it ends up in the back of his net. And you're thinking to yourself, man, you really hope he doesn't lose his edge here or think to himself, all right, maybe I shouldn't have been that aggressive. And he just kept being that way. Uh, Can he do it? Sure. He could also win a Vezina trophy if he keeps playing like this. Uh, It's asking too much, as I mentioned earlier. I'm uncomfortable with the the quality of the chances, uh, the quality of, of the approaches that Philadelphia was able to have cutting into the middle of the Pittsburgh zone. It's one thing to gain a zone. It's another thing to go into the middle. The penguins were way too loose with that. It's asking a lot. Can he keep playing at a high level though right now, Mark over the entirety of last season and what we've seen of this season, this is the default. Uh, Um,
0: was great last night. He didn't get demoted or benched. Never mind the two goals, right? Uh, it seems Sullivan is hard on him, but the same thing happened often to Kapanen in Toronto. What's the story with him? He is certainly uh, interesting to follow, isn't
1: he? Yeah, he is. I, I think he, he, he's he's not lacking innate motivation. Uh, a lot of things to Kasperi, if you go back over his history, and then, of course, with his dad, Sammy, when he was in the league, uh, it, it, things came naturally to him. Things came easily to him. Uh, I, I think of... I'm not going to compare their skill sets here, but they're both Finns and and star guys and Patrick Laine, uh, who's who's now with Columbus, where there's, if you have that one thing in hockey that people covet more than anything else, and that's a shooting touch, you're going to lean on that. This is true of all levels of hockey, not just to the NHL. You're going to be that guy who just stands there and waits for the shot and knows that you can make a difference just by flicking the puck, and at times you do have to be poked, the way Liney does, the way other other snipers in the past have had to uh, to be motivated to do other things. Yeah, I, I don't, don't know. I don't know that Mike Bossy necessary. ever needed that Dejan. I don't know that Brett Hull ever needed that. <laughs> no, bossy's different, but I don't know that I thought of Bossy. Bossy wasn't a long range shooter as much as he was a guy who just had a million ways to score around the net. You know. I'm you know and, and Ovechkin actually is is a, is an example of someone who doesn't need motivated in any capacity but that's also why he's you know arguably the greatest goal scorer of all time uh, but there are exceptions and and I at my in watching hockey my whole life and seeing people who have this specific skill set it can make them forget that the rest of it is necessary
0: uh would you bring Dominic Simone back he's on waivers i think the penguins Fourth line stinks. And I think every time a guy gets hurt, the trickle up from that is disastrous.
1: Yeah, i, I do it in a heartbeat. But uh, I also know that as I say that, everybody just punched the radio <laughs> hearing this.
0: Um, oh, no, no. I, I, want him to, I want him to come back, not play with sick. He's a good hockey player.
1: And, and he's, he's better a, he's, than what they got, got f-
0: on the fourth line. That fourth line, well, that, I mean, that's ugh, the thing. just that's terrible. The
1: thing. Ask yourself what you're getting out of Colton Sevier. Do you even know that he exists? No. No. Um, well, yeah. yeah. When he I'm when saying. he f's up, I remember he's there, and he does that quite a and bit. And then, and then, ask yourself what you're getting in general out of your penalty killing. Dom's a really good penalty killer. Dom also has the ability to slide up and down the lines, which is something that uh, Sullivan values maybe a little bit too much in Dom's case. And they make the same salaries. I, I do it in a heartbeat. Uh,
0: the East Division has two players in the top twenty scores. Only four in the, excuse me, two in the top 10, four in the top 20. Is the East a defensive division? Because I've noticed with all the games staying within the divisions, each division seems to be establishing an identity.
1: Yeah, I, I think it has more to do with the other divisions, Mark. You know, and I know I've, I've heard you be critical of the Canadian division. I, I share that view. Um, the, the hockey is kind of loosey-goosey. There's not great goaltending. Uh, you can say the same thing about having the opportunity to be in a division with the Red Wings, where I mean they've got Jonathan Bernier can't stop a beach ball right now. Um, there's there's goals are easier to come by in the other divisions. I don't think the East is great defensively. I don't think the East is great even from a goaltending standpoint.
0: Well, that was my next point. You know?
1: I mean, I, I think yeah. it is a
0: defensive style division and a bigger division. Yeah. I think it has the biggest teams. The heaviest teams but except for Tuka Rask I don't think there's like a legitimate star goalie in the whole division
1: no no I mean that that's one of the reasons that I was so disappointed with how Jari started his season is that I had wrote on the eve of the faceoff in in Philadelphia that Jari had a chance to be other than the combo of Rask and Halak in, in Boston the best goaltender in the East Division, and then that's one reason why watching him go head-to-head with Carter Hart and not play him as badly as he did last night right here it has to be something that's really uplifting uh, for this organization. I, I, the Hockey has just been weird this season, you know, across the board, and you hear that from a lot of people, uh, but it's been less weird in the East. There, is that an answer? Uh, yeah, it's more...
0: I don't want to uh-huh. say traditional, but it's more fundamental. It's just better yeah, two-way you know, hockey. You, like I think, I, I have, think, I, I think, if Sid played in the Canadian division, he wouldn't be, you know, matching Matthews and, and McDavid point for point. But I think he'd be up at like, you know, one point, two points per game instead of, you know, just a little bit below one like he is in the East.
1: Yeah, and you look at the coaches that are in the East that make sure they keep you honest. You know, you, you look at the, the Barry Trotz and Elaine Vigneault, Uh, you know these guys and Bruce Cassidy these guys are are, are coaching defensive systems and really by the way so does Sullivan it's just they don't listen to him very often
0: well they did last (laughs) night
1: well they 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 somewhat did they still gave up 42 shots but uh they a lot of power
0: play shots though
1: yeah 11 yeah and that that's fair especially early on but uh, it's it's a it's a tighter defensive division I think that that's going to make whether it's Pittsburgh or anybody else in the East is is, is going to be a stronger team in the playoffs for that. Finally,
0: Deja, where are the Flyers at? Because like most of the top teams in the East, they beat up on Buffalo and New Jersey so far. And it's worth noting the Penguins haven't played either of those teams, even one game yet.
1: You know, where the Flyers are at right now is probably best answered by where Carter Hart is at. I don't know how much attention this has gotten, and maybe it should have last night. But you know, he's he's now into the eight hundreds in terms of save percentage, right? And the idea that he was going to be some savior and the first good goaltender that Philadelphia has had since the Penguins' current GM—that's you know—that's not looking as if it's the case. Look at that roster right now, Mark, and tell me what else their weak link is. They have a mobile defense. They've got some young fast forwards to complement their older guys. Uh, you know, what's missing right now? It's that. It's absolutely the goaltending. Dejan, great stuff. We will do it again next week. All right, Mark. Take care.
0: That's Dejan Kovacevic, Barely Talked Pirates. That's a good appearance by Dejon.